0: Hi, I'm Max. And I'm Julian. And welcome to this episode of Fly on the Wall. Today's Julian's first time co-hosting the podcast. So Julian, how do you feel? I'm excited to interview such an important guest. Yeah, that's great to hear. So in this episode, we sat down with the former governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe.
1: We discussed his time as governor, leadership styles and being DNC chair, his 2021 election and positions, and lastly, his GU politics discussion group. It definitely was a great conversation. Before we get into it, though, don't forget
0: to follow us on social media. You can find us at FlyOnTheWallPod on on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or email us at flyonthewall at georgetown.edu.
1: Let's get into the conversation with Terry McAuliffe. Okay, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for Good to be
0: with you. Thank you. So our first question um, has to do with your time in the Virginia executive branch. And um, we wanted to know how you come to compromise when you have a legislature that is stacked against you. Yeah, so when
2: I won in 13, I went into a very uh, Republican legislature. My House of Delegates was, you know, and I would had come from a business background. I'd started 25 businesses before I became governor. My point is... Uh, Let's get together for the common good, whatever may, you know, doesn't matter Democrat or Republican. Once you're elected governor, you're elected for the whole state. You know, it was unfortunate that uh, I couldn't like Medicaid expansion. They wouldn't even talk to me about it. I mean, really? So under Medicaid expansion, they passed the law that you have to pay your tax money into the federal government. You get 100 percent of your money back. But the Republicans would not even entertain a bill to let Virginia, so the Supreme Court made the decision, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, is the law of the land. States can choose whether to accept it. Well, for me, from a business background, the idea that we pay taxes in and we're not going to take them back, I just, was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. And I could have got 400,000 people health care. And they said no. So, and they were scared, speaking frankly, they were scared of a primary, a Republican primary, that if they voted for, quote, Obamacare, they wouldn't win their primary. So some of them weren't willing to risk a job that pays $17,000 a year to get 400,000 people, life-saving health care, bring $2.5 billion back to the Virginia economy, create 65,000 new jobs, and save my rural hospitals. It just, I didn't understand. So certain things were a holy grail to them. And other things, you know, I ended up getting 70-plus percent of my governor's bills passed. I leaned in hard on economic development, created a record amount of jobs, recruited a, a record amount of businesses to come to Virginia, and they would work with me on those types of things. So you sort of have to pick and choose your areas. But you keep fighting for what you believe in. And then I had to use executive authority a lot. So as you probably know, I restored more felon rights than any governor in American history. Republicans sued me, sued me again for contempt of court. I won, Virginia won, and people won, and 200,000 people got the right to vote back. So you work with them if you can't work with them you try to do it yourself through executive authority um and you just try and find at the end of the day I you know I try to tell people I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican what's good for Virginia what is, what helps us make our state more competitive globally mm-hmm.
1: And now I wanna talk about um, your time as DNC chair. Uh, Just what did your position entail there? And I'm particularly interested about the financing side of it uh, because the DNC emerged from debt uh, for the first time there. Yeah,
2: so uh, I had chaired President Clinton's reelect. I'd been in politics a long time. I was Jimmy Carter's finance director at the age of 23 years old, the national finance director. Uh, In fact, I was going to Georgetown Law School, quit to go work for Carter, thought it was a great opportunity. My mother didn't think it was a good idea giving up a scholarship to go work for uh, President Warren for re-election that wasn't popular, but it was a great decision for me. I ended up traveling all over the country, and then um, President Clinton and Vice President Gore wanted me to be the DNC chair in '97 to prepare for Gore's election. I never wanted to be DNC chair when you control the White House, because in essence you then work for the White House political director. If you don't have the White House and you're the DNC chair, you're the head of the Democratic Party, you can make any decision you want, you're the boss. So it was a famous night up at the White House, sitting between Bill Clinton and Al Gore, the two most powerful people in the world, banging me to take the job. I said, I'm not going to do it. And then after the 2000 election, where the election literally was stolen, I mean, people talk today. I mean, this is where the United States Supreme Court stopped the counting of local votes in Florida. Al Gore, as you know, got millions of more votes for president back in 2000. And they stopped the counting when it was 530 votes for president of the United States. Think of that. So I was so outraged at this point. So I ran for chair in um, uh, in 2001 and I ran against Maynard Jackson, who was the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia. I won. And I immediately, my whole mission was to rebuild the party. The party had been mired in debt all along. Um, I said, we need to build a new headquarters because our headquarters was antiquated. We couldn't even bring in new technology because the building was so old. And once I got into it, I just said, heck with it. So I went out and put a capital campaign to build a spanking new headquarters, new TV studios, radio facilities. We didn't have a national voter file. So people find this hard to believe. The Democratic National Committee, Republicans had a voter file of hundreds of millions of names. We didn't have one. It was just, I was incensed. So in Florida, in the tough 2000 election, you know, we're calling, we're knocking on doors of thousands of people trying to get them to vote. They weren't going to vote because they were dead. You know, they hadn't cleaned the voter file. Thousands of people. Well, no wonder they weren't answering their phone. They weren't alive. So I said, we've got a as a party, we've got to build. So we built the first national voter file. You know, I went out and raised tens of millions of dollars to build all this. So I built that. Party got out of debt, and we ended up raising, I can't remember, $700 million when I was chairman, the most of the party had ever, and rebuilt the headquarters. I changed the primary calendar. Iowa and New Hampshire are lovely states, but they're all white. And when 90% of the black community votes for Democrats and 67% of the Hispanic community, why don't they have a say earlier in the presidential election process? So I moved up South Carolina, uh, put it in a prominence I moved up uh, and I did South Carolina for the black vote I moved up Michigan for the labor vote black vote we had in Detroit and I brought up Nevada and New Mexico uh, so we had a more balanced calendar so you know I went into the job as DNC chair to rebuild the party to get it ready for years to come i rebuilt the infrastructure I rebuilt the presidential calendar to make it more inclusive and, and better representative and give us a better chance of winning so know, as I say, I came from a business background. I loved the job as DNC chair and uh, did it for four years.
0: That's great. And um, you also were um, the head of the National Governors Governors Mm -hmm. Association. So can you also address like what that role entailed? And um, also just generally, like, is there something that attracts Mm -hmm. you to these leadership positions that are already somebody who is a leader, like going into higher leadership?
2: Yeah. So... You know, I'll be honest with you, anytime I get in an organization, I like to head it up because I think I have <laughs> good ideas. But you know, um, so when I got elected governor, um, uh, then I got elected chairman of all the governors called the National Governors Association, which I love the job. And my whole thing when I was governor was, you know, I created the most cyber companies of any state in America right here in Virginia mile from where I'm sitting here today. You know, when I I created so many cyber jobs, when I left office we had forty two thousand openings in cyber. Starting pay was eighty-eight thousand dollars. Don't need a four year degree, two years. That's why I added it to our community colleges. So but I was always very concerned about national security, cybersecurity. Virginia, you may or may not know, has the most military installations of any state in America, twenty seven. We have the largest naval base in the world, down Norfolk we have the Pentagon, we have the CIA. So we have a lot of security assets. So I think it's incumbent upon the governor to make sure that our state is protecting all those assets, working with the federal government. So when I got elected chair of the national governors, I made that a top priority to get all 50 states because we had had major breaches. Uh, I think Arizona, North Carolina through the, they'd had major breaches and you understand, we collectively at the states have more data actually than the federal government when you think about we have all the state driver's license and all that information. We run all the health care, we run all the education, we got all the state tax information. And you know, when you collectively because the federal government gives us money, we run these, so we actually have the data. And when a state gets breached and your personal information is sold or whatever, you know, I think that's a breach of the confidence in our government. So I gotta like the chair of the national governors. And President Clinton's an old buddy of mine, and he he was chair of the NGA, and I was lamenting, unfortunately, how politics has turned in this country. Back when he was chair of the National Governors Association, you could get votes 50 to nothing. Literally 50 governors would sign a letter, maybe it's education, whatever it may be. There is no chance today. I couldn't get one letter on any issue with 50 governors to sign. It's just unfortunate. Because there are things we do all agree on, but the way we have become this game of throne in politics, and you know, you can't work with the other side, and if you do, you will pay a penalty. Listen, when I ran for governor last year, many of the Republicans endorsed me, many of the CEOs. Bill Kristol, the head of the Conservative Weekly, you know, endorsed me. Um, we gotta get back to a place where, you know, you and I can differ on issues. You we could be you could be a Republican, I'm a Democrat. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. But today, it's like, oh, my goodness, he's a Republican. I hate him, or he's a Democrat. And, you know, we got to get off of that for the sake of the United States of America. And to go through what we just went through with Paul Pelosi being attacked with a hammer, I mean, I had death threats last year. I had to have state police protect me. That had never happened before like that as a candidate. You know, he had the, these knuckleheads just convicted of trying to kidnap the governor of Michigan. He had Steve Scalise shot out at a ballpark out in Virginia. I mean... It's dangerous out there, but I love being chair. So why do I do it? I think, you know, I grew up, started my first business when I was 14 years old. My folks couldn't afford to send me to college and started 25 businesses with the youngest bank chairman in American history. I've done a lot of things. I've had huge success in business. I've had my share of failure. I've seen ups and I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've never worked for anyone and I like it that way. So when I get an organization, let's all get together. Come on, let's go forward. Trying to make things better.
1: And um, I'm also interested in, um, you know, financing your own elections and your own campaigns. I mean, I know the 2021 race, there was a ton of money there, it broke fundraising records in Virginia. Um, so what was that sort of climate like?
2: Well, Young can put, I think, 20 or five or 30 of his own money in. I didn't have to, but I raised 80 million. So I raised a lot. And, you know, I was excited because You know, for the last two weeks, I was raising $600,000 a day online. And I love the online fundraising. I mean, you're talking average gifts of 12 or 15 or 20 bucks. And they'll give it to you night after night. I mean, if you can build it, that's why when I was chair way back when, I wanted to build that voter file. If you can build a good digital platform, um, you can fund any campaign if you can get some excitement behind it. And you look at the money this year. I mean, look how much has been raised, like in the Georgia Senate race. You know, a lot of that is small donor. Now, Virginia, understand there are no limits. You can give whatever you want. If you wanted to give me $100 million, Julian, right now, you could do it. Now, you got to disclose it, but you can give it to me. And, um, you know, listen, I'm, I'm for full disclosure. I hated what Citizens United, remember they passed that, and unlimited dark money comes into politics. If you give a check, it—I believe it should be disclosed. I—I I do not like that all of this outside money can come in and nobody knows who's bankrolling I think that's wrong.
0: Yeah. Um. And kind of going off that from um, like the most recent election that you had. Yeah. Um. Knowing like what you know now, is yeah. there anything that you would have done differently, or do you think everything um, like went smoothly on your end? And um, specifically in relation to like policy proposals and how. Uh, yeah. You made a lot, but your opponent didn't, like, ha- would you change your
2: focus? or? Listen, you run your campaigns, you can always go back and second guess. I tell you, at the end of the day, I got the most votes of any Democrat ever running for governor in Virginia history. 1.6 million. Mm-hmm. Um, 200,000 more than any Democrat. I got 500,000 more votes than the last mm-hmm. time I ran. Same night, you know, it was a bad night for Democrats. I mean, nationally, I mean, we got crushed in New York that night. New Jersey, we almost lost the incumbent governor Phil Murphy's a buddy of mine and the interesting thing is I got 300,000 more votes than Phil Murphy mm-hmm. who was an incumbent governor running for reelect against someone who didn't have any money my opponent had a lot of money and they have a million more Democrats in New Jersey and Virginia so it was ours was a difference of 56,000 votes very close I had 282 pages of policy proposals Youngkin didn't have one page didn't have one policy he talked about CRT and election integrity you know Trump, you want everyone to say Trump was a big factor in 21. Uh, people, 60% of Republicans think that Trump won the election. Still to this day. I mean, imagine that. So a lot of it was revenge coming back again. And, you know, if you look back and say I was able to put a million six on the board, it was a tough environment. Afghanistan hurt tremendously because of the military. And then let's be honest, we went through the whole fall where the Democrats couldn't pass the Build Back Better bill. And all of the fighting, remember the constant fighting going on and Bernie wanting this and, you know, Manchin wanting this and Sinema wanting this and, you know, what did and as you know, the president dropped to like
1: 40%. You know, it
2: is what it is. You don't second gosh, you go out and do it. I won in 13. President Obama was under by three and I won by one. Virginia is not a blue state. It's So we're, we're blue presidential year. I think you're going to see this year we're purple, purple tint in a Mm -hmm. midterm. But in a governor's year, which we're the only thing on the ballot besides the House of Delegates, we're a two-point Republican electorate. People don't realize that because of turnout. Mm -hmm. Turnout dropped, you know, the highest presidential, next highest, and then governor's race is the third highest. It's just turnout uh, is down. And you got to remember, in 48 years in Virginia history, the party that wins the White House The next year's the election, the other party wins the governor's mansion. And in 48 years, only one man has broken that. Who was that, Max? Um, Terry McCall It was a a, a you. Because Barack Obama won in 12, Mm. and then I won in 13. As I say, only by one point. So it's Mm hard. And on the uh, CRT
1: angle, uh, talking about twenty twenty one, how did you differentiate your views on education from um, Youngkins, and specifically, yep. uh, to what extent do you think voters were responsive to that?
2: I don't know. I won education at the end of the day. It w- it was like the sixth or seventh thing on the battle. It was always economy, and and I ended up winning education. I won Loudon County, which was the battle of CRT. Remember where all of this stuff had actually gone on. You know, I hated the whole discussion on critical race theory because it's not taught in Virginia and it's a racist dog whistle. That's all it is. Um, what are you trying to say with CRT? What, what is it? It's not taught in Virginia. So what is it? But, you know, I get it. it. inflamed people and got them out and, you know, that, you know, we were teaching children to be gay or transgender, all this stuff, which just is not the case. And listen, I talked about teacher pay you know we're 50th out of 50 states and the average te- teachers were the seventh wealthiest state in America uh, I talked about redoing our curriculums I talked about rebuilding rural schools I had a real plan I had 30 pages he literally did not have one policy not one but sometimes in politics it is what it is you know you just go out put your best foot forward you get out of bed the next day and you get back at it you know I've had a fantastic life I mean I think of all the experiences I had and you know, hopefully there's a couple more chapters left. Who knows? I'm young, and you know, just that's what I tell young people. You know, go out and try new things. Uh, don't get yourself set. Oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm, you're going to miss out on opportunities in life. You know, when I was at Georgetown with a scholarship and walked away with it to go work for a president who didn't look like he'd get reelected, people thought that was enough. it wasn't. It was. I ended up going to 40 states, became the finance director. You know, if you got an opportunity, young life, take it. Take some risks, take some chances when you're young. Clearly, before you get married, you have kids, and all that. But go enjoy life. I, you know, I've loved every day. I don't have down days. You know, I don't. I don't tr- ever. I call it negative energy. I don't really have any. I don't. I don't want to hear rumors about anybody. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not reading. I mean, you know, my kids will say, "Oh, Dad, you got attacked on Twitter." I said, "What do you care? You know, some kid in his underwear in his mother's basement is right. What do I care? You gotta, folks." Go enjoy your life. Do what you love doing, and let me tell you this. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's okay. Get out of bed the next day. Dust yourself off. But don't go to work, take a job for one single day that you don't love doing. Don't do it. Don't do it because, oh, I'm supposed to do this or I planned on doing this since I was in high school or I wanted to be a lawyer. Or whatever. It doesn't matter. Figure out, try a lot of things while you're young, and and you'll enjoy. I remember when I ran for governor, and 09, I remember at the subway stops, so many people coming at me. And got their their head down. They were they were miserable going to work. Don't do that. Enjoy it. You only live once. Go for gusto mm-hmm. and have fun. Too many lemon suckers in life. Go have fun in life.
0: No, no thank you for that. Um, and. I guess because most of our listeners are um, Georgetown undergrads, can you talk a little bit about your discussion group that you have here and also like generally why you decided to apply for and then accept the um, fellowship this
2: semester with geopolitics? Sure. So uh, Moa Aglithi, who was the head of this, called me up, uh, asked me if I'd be interested. I want you to know we're the first husband-wife team. My wife had done this when she was first lady when we left, she did it in 18. So we're the first husband-wife team to do it and she's now at State Department working and listen i love being in the classroom i did the harvard kennedy school i've done george mason i mean i love you know coming in and you know i have office hours and all these young people come in and i try to give them the best advice i possibly can but i think it's all two things one i think it's important i'd like to have the discussion with young people because i'm a little dismayed at how negative things have become in this country and the splits and the and, you know, and I talked to some of the students who come in here for office hours. You know, you hear it at Georgetown, there's some Trump supporter and they're blah, 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 blah. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And, you know, as I say, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. I mean, I had one Trump supporter in here. She was telling me about the different things that she has had to go through here on campus. And, you know, I guess my point there, forget all that stuff, are you kidding me? And let everybody, I love when people have different opinion than me. Uh, So, you know, trying to get a sense of civil comedy and civil discourse, I think, is important for young people. I mean, I tell people here at Georgetown all the time, I mean, none of you should ever have one complaint. You're at one of the most prestigious universities in the United States of America. There's 99.9% of people in this country who couldn't get in here, couldn't afford to be here, or for whatever reason are not here. You are all very fortunate. And I think because of that, you have a responsibility to give back, to help other people. Put your hand down and lift other people up. Honestly, I mean, as someone who's traveled to all fifty states, I've traveled to eighty nations around the globe. I'm telling you, you look at some people's lives are just awful. And they have to cope with the things they have to cope with every day, just to put food on the table and so forth. And you know, I remember in Southwest Virginia's governor visiting some schools and the kids' clothes, you know, littered with lice and not having any food that's why we led the effort to get 16 million more meals served to needy children so my point is a hopefully I'm here you know to inspire people to think a little bit out of the box and to change their career plans to do something they really enjoy doing but also I mean my whole thematic has been about state government people really don't think about it at all I will tell you that the governor and the state government affects your life much more than the president does I mean when you think about it we build your roads we clean your roads you know we run your education in your states we run your health care delivery systems in your state that's not the White House it's not the government the state does everything that really touches you we're in charge of and so I brought my different cabinet secretaries in today is environment Molly Ward is gonna do the environment and all the things that we could do on the environment um, last week was economic development so you know, I think it's opening people's eyes. i love it if some people would think about going to serve in state government, work in state government. I mean, you can really have an impact on people's lives. So I've enjoyed it. Monday, you know, I do office hours for four hours and the hour and a half discussion group. And a lot of folks have come, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And um, I guess kind of following up on that, like what, what do you think is next for you after this? Or are you still kind of like feeling it out?
2: Well, I've had a lot of experience. Um, I gave Julian my book last week called What a Party of My Life. He's only read the first chapter, which, you know, you shouldn't have been partying all weekend, Julian. Mm-hmm. You should have been home reading that book. But I've had a lot of great experiences in life. And Max, going to my point earlier, there's a few chapters left. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at what those opportunities are. Maybe I do some work with the president, or, you know, a lot of different things. I always try to do different things. I always like to have a different variety. I've been fortunate. I've been successful in business. Um, So that gives me the freedom to do what I want to do. And, you know, I've been traveling. I've been doing a lot of different uh, things internationally, which I love to do. I love to travel around the globe. But I always keep my options open. Never close the door. Awesome. And, Max, whatever I do, I'll have fun.
0: Yeah. That's great. Um, So I think at this point, we're going to move into um, what we call our lightning round. So basically, in this round, uh, we ask short-ish questions, and we're looking for like shorter answers, nothing like, could be one word, could be a little description. Um, So Julian, do you want to go with our first one?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, What was it like being a college student and then a law student in um, late 70s, early 80s uh,
2: Washington, D.C.? Uh, it was great college um, I went undergrad here at Catholic got a scholarship to come here worked on the hill two days a week Tuesday Thursday I used to take number 80 bus you this was before the Metro Metro opened up as I was graduating I used to be a waiter at Mike Palm's restaurant on Capitol Hill at night made a fortune so I was and being here in Washington That's where I chose Washington you know, my father really wanted me to go to Notre Dame. He had gone to Notre Dame, but I loved politics. And so I used to come down every Tuesday and Thursday and work on Capitol Hill for eight hours a day. Loved it, got paid to do it. And then I'd be a waiter at night. I was a resident director, a resident advisor, resident director. I mean, I actually I had a scholarship, so they actually paid me to go to school. It was a pretty good gig, but I loved Washington. I mean, there's just so much to offer. Now with the Metro and you know, everything's open up to you. So, Law school was a little different. I um, took, as I said, I took time off to work on the presidential campaign. Now that the statute of limitations is over, I will tell you, I was a full-time day law student at Georgetown. I never went to class. Uh, not that I didn't want to go to class, but I was running three companies. I was traveling all over the country and I just wanted to hear it. But the nice thing about Georgetown, these professors probably gonna hear this, ain't gonna like it, but you know, it's so big, they don't really take attendance. You know, because it's so big, all you would do is, I think it's the biggest physical mm-hmm. law school in yeah. the country. You know, you couldn't take a 10th, 150 people. So, you know, I'd get the thing called Gilbert and Emanuel's. They were study guides, and I'd crank those out. And, you know, I tell a great story in my book, My, you know, one, one beginning of the semester, I, I got stuck out of town for, I don't know, four, four or five weeks. So I come back, and one of my buddies, Chris Peterson, said, oh, man, he said, you, you missed a pop quiz. And I'm thinking, pop quiz, you know, I've just worked for the president of the United States. I'm a little old for pop quizzes, but whatever. So I go up and I tell the story of my book. I ask the professor if I could do it. I said, you know, Professor Austin Terry if I'm Mr. Quiz. He said, first of all, my name's Ross Stein. You get an F. I said, woo, well, okay, good talk. <laughs> so I worked hard for that final. But, you know, the <laughs> they don't know who you are at the finals. You know, they mail you a number. You're just a number, so... Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to give any, all your listeners a different, uh, I mean, if you want to go to law school, I think it's great. I just was busy. I was making a lot of money. I had businesses going. I was having fun. I graduated. I'm a member of a bar, so don't. I, uh, I've argued one case, Dewey Beach, 2.30 in the morning. Had had a few cocktails in the afternoon. I got a kid off a of disorderly conduct charge at Dewey Beach, 2.30 in the morning, uh, and I retired. I'm 1-0 as a lawyer. Mm. Undefeated. Wow.
0: Yeah. How do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very funny story. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think you already kind of mentioned this, but maybe it'll be a different answer. Like, who would you say is your closest, like, fellow governor friend, um, maybe from the, um, like, National Governors Association, like, in your time there, um, either, like, present or former?
2: You know, it's hard to pick one, because I literally got along, Max, literally, with all of them. You know, I had a good working relationship with Larry Hogan here, Mm because... You know the DMV. You got to work together, and had a good working relationship with, uh, with with Larry. I, you know, I worked on projects with the governor of Arkansas, Republican governor mm-hmm. of Arkansas. I mean, I, you know, it didn't matter to me, Democrat or Republican. See, the one thing about governors, and we had a thing called best practices. If you're doing something good in a state, we want to find that out. We can bring it to our state. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike. no offense to governors and senators I think they're Mm -hmm. terrific it's just a different deal so for us we got to produce and we're not like the federal government you know we have to balance our budgets Mm -hmm. the federal government prints money and they create money we can't do that at the state level so we're under different constraints and so you know we have a good working relationship Uh, the governor of uh, Nevada my was was my vice chair Republican we had a great working relationship so I had a lot of great um, governors get along or let me put it this way I guess a better more diplomatic way to say it is, we we are forced to have to work a lot closer together and like during COVID I mean best practices for COVID and things like that
1: um, our next question is um, you grew up in New York so what is kept you and what still keeps
2: you um, in Virginia yeah love growing up Syracuse New York beautiful city to be from tough winters <laughs> They always win the golden snowball board for the most snow. And, and listen, I came down here for college and then law school. I love politics. So I love the area. I mean, this is a booming, just a spectacular opportunity for young people. And just great economic opportunities. I mean, I love this whole area. I mean, it's international. You've got all these embassies. So you're constantly running into different cultures and restaurants and meeting people. And, you know, you've got all of that um just huge opportunities i love the weather it's a very temperate climate you know you have winter uh not three months of the year maybe maybe have one snow bad snowfall unlike what i grew up with so i think the weather's great you're centrally located but i just think great if, if you know as a parent great educational opportunities great uh, educational institutions and great economic opportunities for your kids when they get out
0: well, I think that was all the questions we had for you today. Um, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Max, thank you, buddy. Julian, thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Fly in the Wall. You can find us on social media by searching at Fly on the Wall pod. Inquiries may be sent to our email address, fly in the Wall at georgetown.edu. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe to Fly in the Wall, a geopolitics podcast, and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. The Fly's researchers are Kelvin Doe, Robin Huang, and Zan Hawk. Our communications team is Andrea Smith and Fiona Gallagher. Our producer is the mighty Max Paley. Original theme music is composed by Aidan Ang and Bella Carlucci. I'm Sam Kehoe, Managing Director of The Pod. Fly on the Wall is brought to you by the Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service and is made possible by the McCord School of Public Policy. Thanks for listening and fly with you soon.